0: I think work life integration is so much smarter. It seems I, I like more doable. Right. It's like you said you can't put a business on one side of the scale and your personal life on another side of the scale and right. expect it to balance out. It's always going to be tipping one way or the other. I mean, you right. and
1: I know integrations of software integrations. If you think about like a work life balance, you like think about it almost like a, hey, I've got AWeber and I've got active campaign. Right. And I'm trying to balance my time between the two of them. If you build a successful integration, you can spend less time in both and and, and have the success that you're looking for.
2: This is the Messy Backend, where experts share customized business advice and tips about all the messy stuff that goes on behind the beautifully branded front end of entrepreneurship. This is where most businesses fail. So we're here to help you save time, make money and succeed. And now your hosts of The Messy Back End, Sheila J. Davis and Nate Tucker.
0: We love our listeners here at The Messy Back End. We love y'all so much, we're gonna make the mess even bigger. Coming soon to this very same channel, you're going to be hearing from The Messy Backend Exposed. You know, the very first day that we recorded this podcast, Instagram and Facebook shut down, so we knew we were right on track with The Messy Backend. All businesses have them, so don't be shy. Let's put it out there and help each other grow. If you have a messy back end or you're an expert who just loves cleaning up those back ends, give us a call at 801-810-6726 or visit themessybackend.com to apply.
1: Welcome. Thank you. Thank you all so much. We have a wonderful show for you today. As Richard Bach once said, no matter how qualified or deserving we are, we will never reach a better life until we can imagine it for ourselves and allow ourselves to have it.
0: On our expert segment today, we're going to be speaking with Peter Cosadoy. Peter is the award winning author of Honest to Greatness and an Inc. 5000 seropreneur. He's a TEDx speaker and a business coach who works with organizations and their leaders to help them overcome self-limiting beliefs and use honesty to achieve greatness. His articles on leadership and entrepreneurship have appeared in Forbes, Inc., Huffington Post, PR Daily, and more. He holds a BA in economics from Brandeis University and an MBA from Columbia Business School and lives outside of New York City with his wife and their spoiled dog.
1: I love spoiled dogs. You'll also hear real questions and stories from real entrepreneurs with real messy backends. As an added bonus for the messy backend exposed, our expert Peter will not only share his experience, expertise, and the tools he suggests to get your backend cleaned up, but he will also expose how to honestly balance business and personal life.
0: That is so important. If you're an entrepreneur with a messy back end and you would like to submit your story or question, give us a call at 801 810 6726 or visit us at themessybackend.com. How messy is your back end? Is it holding you back? Is it making it so that you can't make more money? You can't serve your purpose? Visit TheMessyBackend.com today and find out just how messy your back end is and how to clean it up.
1: Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast by heading on over to TheMessyBackend.com slash subscribe so that you never miss an episode.
0: We'd love to thank our sponsor, Yes Women's Network. If you are a female entrepreneur and you are looking to start, build, or grow your business, Yes, Women's Network is the place to join for empowering resources and masterful networking.
1: The key to making this podcast really work is to hear about the results of the suggestions. This allows us to be able to learn not just from one expert's point of view, but from the execution of the suggestions provided. Give us a call at 801-810-6726 or visit The Messy backend.
0: And now on to our expert, Peter Cosadoy, for his expert advice. Don't miss your seat, folks. Here we go.
1: Today, we have a messy back-end question submitted by an anonymous listener. She says, I'm afraid of being successful. As a mother, I'm afraid that my business will consume me and I will lose time and connection with my family and loved ones. How can I be successful in both business and life at the same time when business takes up so much of my
2: time? Well, Sheila and Nate, awesome to be here. I appreciate you having me. And this is actually a question that I get quite a lot. I've coached now hundreds of entrepreneurs, and I still do, helping them build their own seven-figure business. And you know, I have a quote that entrepreneurship is 10% about business, 100% about people, and 1,000% about the self. And I think that's what non-entrepreneurs don't always realize is that we play a game in between our ears, and it is that game that has a direct effect on how effective we are, not only as leaders in our business, but also as leaders in our life, which is why I wrote a book about honesty, right? Not only getting honest about what's going on in the world and with the others around you, but honest with yourself. And when you asked that question, Nate, you know, as soon as you asked it, all I kept wondering to myself was, what is this person's definition of success? Because to be afraid of success, you have to have a picture of it in your head that is somehow negative, right? So when you start to talk about like a work-life balance and all this stuff, it seems to me this person has this this vision, right? Probably not a positive one, that when I am successful, it will be more of this, right? This stuckness, this struggle between uh, my business needs and my personal, my family needs, right? Super common. One of the things, you know, I think we need to be honest about right off the bat is that everyone struggles with time management. Everyone. Like no one... There is not a person in the world who like wakes up and has it like all figured out, you know, morning to night. And the people who do are probably in an asylum somewhere. Right. So this is completely normal. It's completely normal to be like, you know, I don't, I don't know how to balance all this stuff. We're all balancing so many things. And by the way, people did not used to do this. Right. You go back hundreds of you don't even have to go back thousands of years, go back hundreds of years and humans were doing some hunting and coming back to the campfire. And, you know, I mean, even if you think about Renaissance time, right, which is not so long ago in the span of human history, right. You had time for art and for hanging out and watching plays in the square and for going to your, you know, uh, weekly hanging of people who did bad stuff. Like it was just a lot of free time.
1: Entertainment was a little different back then, you know? Yeah, yeah just a little different. Hey, right? hey, you want to go see Bob? He, he's getting hanged down in the, the square. today, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um,
2: you know, and we like, to, we like to forget that we live in a very frenetic society that is unlike any society we've ever lived in as human beings. And then we right. wonder, like, why are we so stressed out? Well, it's because you're doing a million things and we don't have downtime like we used to have, right? We are ascending up Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We, most of us, not all, but many, many of us, in, you know, especially in the United States, we have food, we have water, we have shelter, then what, right? And that last piece, the self-actualization is what makes us run around and do a million things and put our kids into everything from band to soccer to uh, what I grew up as, figure skating. So you know, first of all, I think it needs to go said that we need to relax right? And just like understand that this is a problem for everyone and it's okay. Second thing we need to do is realize that the whole work-life balance thing is a lie. It's not true. I happen to be the expert in what's true and what's not. And I'm telling (laughs) you, it is complete BS. Here's why. As soon as we say work-life balance, we insinuate that it exists, that you can perfectly balance work and life. And as we just talked about, it is literally not possible. I was just on a live stream right before I tuned into to you both, and we were talking about work-life integration and about the choices we get to make while we integrate those two things. Here's what's fascinating about entrepreneurs, right? Yeah. We, the great thing about being an entrepreneur is we get to wake up in the morning and we have a million things we could do, and we have total freedom to, to do whatever we want, and we get to figure it out. The worst part of being an entrepreneur is that when we wake up in the morning, we have a million things we could do, and we don't know which one to do, and we, we, we get stuck, right, in our yeah. own heads. And then we, we end up on this treadmill. And I think that's what the, the, this person who asked a really good question was getting at. Here's the thing, there's only one person who can unstick this individual, and that is herself, right? Yeah. And when, I, when I'm coaching entrepreneurs, helping them build seven-figure businesses, we go lifestyle first. What is the lifestyle that you want? Where do you want to live? How do you want to structure your day? What do you want it to look like? How many people are you talking to? Who are those people? So on and so forth. We get to make those decisions. And what crushes me is when people don't realize and exercise that control. And, you know, by the way, we're here recording this in 2020. So many things we can't control, obviously. But What we can control is the way we spend our time and the way we structure our businesses. So I would take a hard look at redefining success in the way that this person wants to live their lifestyle and then going about doing the very hard, but very honest work of making some tough decisions and rebuilding, rebuilding. By the way, if she doesn't rebuild on her own, something like a pandemic or a zombie apocalypse or whatever is going to come and disrupt it for her. Much better that we do it ourselves, I think.
0: Yeah, or the UFO. Did you know there's like a UFO like yesterday, right? It wouldn't,
2: so, surprise it yeah. wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. So they're me.
0: like, it's not going to be zombies, it's going to be UFOs first. But you're right. You're absolutely right. We actually did an episode with Forbes Riley where she put Nate and I to the test and asked us what we wanted. And it's really, you know, I love your honesty to greatness because how often are we really, truly honest with ourselves? I think we well, aren't. And we leave a lot out, and we're definitely more harsh on ourselves than anybody else in the world. And so if we honestly look at what truly do we want, um, boy, I'll tell you what, we <laughs> Nate and I were put in our place to get super clear on what you specifically want because you can't reach it unless you know what it is.
2: hundred percent. And it's not, it's not even people who struggle with that. It's like, well, I don't know what I want. It's because in their head is sort of swirling around what my spouse wants, what my friends want, what my mom told me I should want what okay. like all this stuff and it's like no no put that aside put put aside all the self limiting beliefs all that stuff you know i i do seminars and workshops for entrepreneur groups you know, in in corporations and other things but for entrepreneur groups in particular i do this exercise right at the start of the day like we're going to design an our, our ideal lifestyle it's going to be great and so they're you know writing down all right this is what i want to do and I, i'll call on someone they're like peter i got it i know exactly what my ideal lifestyle is i'm going to work 4 hours a day for 5 days a week Man, that would be so good. And I'm like, oh wow, that sounds great. Why? Why do you say that? Oh, well, because right now I work 12 hours a day, six days a week. And oh, if I could only work four hours a day, five days a week, well, that would change my life. And I'm like, wow, that's amazing. So cool. Let me just ask you one question about that. Why don't you want to work two hours a day, three days a week? <laughs> and they think for a minute and they're like, well, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, of course, of course I want that, but that's not possible. And I say, oh, really? Oh really, it's not possible, who told you that? So, you know, back to your point, Sheila, it's not just like, what do we want, but what do we really, really, really actually want that we've told ourselves isn't even possible? That's the truth. And if we can get there and have a clear vision, then we can rebuild.
0: I wonder yeah. though, if it comes back to, we don't know what we don't know too.
2: That could very well be, yeah. And that's why coaching is so important, right? You know, and mm-hmm. I, by the way, was the 20 something year old building a multimillion dollar company and insisting I could do it all by myself, I was wrong. I could, this is a book about what I was right about. If there were a book about what I was wrong about, it would be like, I don't know, 10,000 pages. So that would be at the top of the list. And that's why I coach now, because once I got folks to mentor and coach me and illuminate those blind spots, Sheila, that you're talking about, that can be game changing, just to have the honest wherewithal to peel back all those layers and figure out what's what's objectively true.
1: Love it. Uh, I, I love what you're saying too about the, you know, it's like, you have to be honest with yourself uh, and don't worry about what society or your mom or your dad or whoever you, you're trying to impress. Stop trying to impress people. Um, especially stop trying to impress the wrong people. You know, uh, we, we had an episode recently where we were talking about like the ideal clients and people that you work with. Um, we need to tell ourselves sometimes it's like, why are we bending over backwards? Why are we putting ourselves in uncomfortable situations? for those people that we don't actually want to work with. Why are we trying to impress these type of people and lying to ourselves and not being our true selves um, just to impress somebody? We can't impress everyone, we, you know, 10 out of 10 dentists don't always agree on everything.
2: You <laughs> According know, to the Colgate commercials, that's true.
1: Yeah. Other than Colgate, but um, I actually saw an ad recently and it said, uh, a smile is like a handshake. And I was like, Colgate, have you been paying attention in 2020 because we're not supposed to shake hands so no,
2: barely supposed it's, to smile at each other so yeah, I know no. we're, it's
1: like we've got masks over at Colgate I don't yeah. know what you're trying with your marketing strategy here but sorry um, yeah. but but no I, I, I love that you need to be truly honest with yourself and say okay if this is what I want like you're 3 hours a week you know instead of 4 hours a week for 3 days that that makes sense it's like why not try to figure out what actually what you want not what you feel like you have to do.
2: And it's figure outable. And there's an opportunity cost to not being honest about that, which is that you live in what I, you know, out of what I call honest alignment, you know, with, with your core values, the core values that, by the way, if you would just embrace, you would attract the kind of clients that share those values and there would be less friction. And there would, you know, this honesty really is the best policy across everything, right? It's all connected to this idea that, if we're willing to be honest and that can mean different things at different times. You know, sometimes it means candid or direct or transparent or willing to admit fault or ready for change or whatever. And that's, you know, how I redefine in the book, but, but that's the key. Right. And by the way, we learned it when we were three years old. And as I like to tell people, like I was the guy who was voted most likely, likely to continue being a jerk in high school. Like if I can figure this out, right, honesty, transparency, vulnerability, all that happy horse crap, If I can figure it out you can figure it out. And by the way, it works. This is not an ethics book. It's not a moral book. It's about how do you achieve better outcomes in your life and business? How do you achieve profitability and make poop tons of money? See, I didn't swear. I did a good job. <laughs> good job. <laughs> it's by honesty, strate- strategic, brutal honesty. It matters.
0: Uh, in your book, Honesty to Greatness, tell us a little bit more about what the purpose behind, like how did you come up with this idea of honesty to greatness and, and how did you develop this book?
2: Sheila, you know the great part about writing a book about honesty is I get to be honest. So I never set out to write about, speak about, or frankly even care about honesty. It wasn't even on my radar. I set out to write a marketing book. And it was born out of a couple things that were coalescing at the same time. Uh, one, I had a terrible tragedy uh, happen to me. I'm embarrassed even to admit, maybe this has happened to you, but um, I turned 30. <laughs> dude this is my
0: crazy. 50th year so don't talk to me about
2: 30 wow well i don't know how so one time i was doing a keynote and this this sprightly older woman in the front row sprang up and was like i've turned 30 twice i said to her lady I, don't, I barely survived it once so i don't know how you did it twice <laughs> i loved
1: 30 30 was great like i turned 30 i had a big party like life was great Thir- i turned 31 and the world shut down so
0: <laughs> No, the day I turned fifty, they literally shut down the NBA and the you know the football and the churches and everything else. So
1: I blame <laughs> you. <laughs> reason to that. be. Upset. That's definitely yeah. your fault. It is my so, fault.
2: You know, and and I I had to come to you know reckon with myself. You know who who I really was and what I really wanted. I, I had had two massive failures as a teenager that I had been carrying with me, sort of accepting a second best me, and and I had to get really honest about, you know, what, what was it I was missing and what why was I feeling like, you know, there was so much more to achieve. At the same time, I had, you know, grown a million dollar company, ended up on the Inc. 5000 list of fastest growing companies in America for a couple of years in a row. And in doing so, we worked with startups, so the Fortune 500 and even Warren Buffett himself. And I was always fascinated by the fact that our clients fell into two camps. In some clients, we would go into their Frontline employees and customers and unearth all these insights and package them up, bring them back to the executive team, and say, hey, this is who you are. This is what we need to do from a communications and marketing standpoint. And they'd be like, oh wow. Okay. Yeah, we should do that. And they would do it. And they would grow, they would we would make them millions of dollars. They would be thrilled, stay with us for years, all good. Yeah. Second set of clients, we would do the same kind of work, go into their frontline employees and customers and unearth insights. And here's the truth. Here's what they're saying. Here's what we need to do. And they would just blow up. Like the, the team would descend into infighting and politics and B.S. And nope, listen, like in my undergrad, I spent every elective I could taking business classes. I went, got an MBA at Columbia University. I will tell you right now, they teach you all about business. They don't teach you what to do when a leader prefers ego to the truth. I was not prepared for that. Yeah. And I saw it over and over and over in companies, small, large, hundred million dollars, doesn't matter. And it baffled me and I I used to come away thinking like, these people are morons, right? But they're not, right? No executive becomes an executive of a hundred million dollar company by being an idiot. What I ended up figuring out was they were being dishonest and not, you know, not outwardly. So they're not like lying for their own benefit or something like that. They were being dishonest, either about what was going on around them, you know, how consumer preferences were changing, how society was shifting, what was going on with the people around them, you know, with their fellow executives or customers or employees. And ultimately, ultimately, they were being dishonest with themselves, you know, with their own biases and ego and self-limiting beliefs as a leader. And so when those two things came together, what I was seeing professionally and then what I experienced personally, uh, I sat down to, to write a book that was on my 30, I haven't done enough of my life list. And I sat down to write a marketing book. Um, and I queried 400 literary agents most of whom didn't even get back to me. Many of whom did get back to me and say, Peter, you'll never be a published author. Like, this is not the way you go about this. Don't never email me again. Three people took a meeting and one signed me. And as soon as he did, he said, you know, by the way, this isn't a book about marketing. It's a book about honesty. And I said, well, you're a literary agent who clearly can't read because it doesn't say anything about honesty. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. And of course, upon further reflection, he was right. And this became much bigger than just how do we market and sell. It's really how do we communicate as organizations, as leaders? What do we believe about society and about ourselves and about whether honesty is the best policy or not? And does it work? Can we weaponize it? And through the stories and case studies I tell in the book from uh, Warren Buffett to Quicken Loans and the largest hedge fund in the world, if that wasn't enough billions of dollars for you, to an 11-year-old Girl Scout that sold 30,000 boxes of Girl Scout cookies, Honesty wow. works. Because
0: that was at Nate's house. She just did it at one door. but then, Yeah, it's, it's
1: true. I, I, Nate, it's she's my confused. neighbor. What can we do? Yeah. Yeah. You just have to find your target audience. She knew that her <laughs> ideal client was me. That's, that's it. All yeah. of core
2: lives. values match. Yeah. That's it.
0: What I hear you saying, and I this is really interesting because we've done so many. I mean, this is our seventy seventh podcast. So, wow. um, what I find really interesting, and I hear you saying, is you know you started out to write a book about marketing, and he said it's about honesty, and Couple things that you mentioned made me think of. Uh, you hear a lot of people saying you need to get clear, you need to have clarity, you need to be authentic. All of those little pieces that you hear people saying all fall back into honesty. I think they sure do. Um, you know, when you say honesty, like you said, it's, it's actually a very broad type topic where you have to look at what are you being um, honest about. And we're not talking about like stealing or robbing or any of those kind of things. No. We're talking about specifically clearing up issues that you may be a little foggy about maybe
1: i love that you just use the words like clear up or using foggy because when you were talking peter about you know you, you have these execs who care more about ego and they're seeing you know the world and their ideal client or whatever and they've kind of got maybe rose-colored glasses on or they have a you know for lack of better terms they've got a snapchat filter or an instagram filter on the world you know it's it's a cute little you know visco girls teal and orange and it makes you look great at the beach and it's got the tan and the blue skies and the blue ocean and it looks great but it's it's a little tweaked from reality it's not quite 100 honest and you can have that perception outwardly as well it's not just about who you are but it's about like like you said about who your clients are if you have those rose-colored glasses on if you have that filter on the world and saying yeah you know this is how I want to see it and and you can make yourself believe that way you really can you know like you said you've got these you know fortune 500 leaders who have these filters over their they their target the audience or marketing strategy what I'm getting out of this is if you have that filter on it's going to be a lot harder to be as successful you know success yeah. will come a lot easier if you remove that filter and see the world exactly how it is
2: yeah you're so right Nate and it it actually gets worse than that, you know, because not only can you not achieve what you're trying to do, you're actually eroding trust, right? You know, what's honesty good for? It's only as good as the trust that it creates. So the problem is, to your point, you have executives out there with whatever, Snapchat filter on, right? And everyone else knows the truth. So what right. that does is it erodes trust in and leadership. And, and here's what happens, right? The frontline employees always know. Why? They're closest to the customers. Right. And how frustrating is it when they pass back all these great ideas and none of them get acted on, and they come up with excuses why not? And they, I've seen this over and over again. I was hired so many times, and I'll give you one, to come into an organization and solve this communications and tech problem, right? Now there was a membership organization. They only had one thing they needed to do, which was communicate well to members. And so I was charged with coming in and doing the same kind of work we always do, unearthing insights, figuring out what's true from a communications standpoint, inside of 90 minutes. I'm with the frontline employees and they had it solved. They were like, Yeah, Peter, this is great. So glad they finally asked. We've wanted to revamp the system for years. Here's exactly how to do it. We've already shopped the, the, the tech solutions. Like, here it is. And I was like,
1: this is the Make your job to easy job. <laughs> easy. Yeah, I was
2: like, this is fantastic. Whoa. Take it back to the executive team, and I'm all proud. And I'm like, boom, there you go. And they were like, Ooh, yeah. Well, yeah, but see, if we did that, then we'd have to do this and it might be expensive. And then I was like, You just handed me thousands of dollars to solve this problem for you. Here's the solution. Everyone you just told you want their opinion is counting on you to take action now. And they didn't do it. How bad is that for the culture and for leadership and for honesty and for building trust? And I've seen it over and over and over again. And it doesn't have to be that way. You take a company like Quicken Loans, who, as we all know, invented Rocket Mortgage. Well, how did it do that? You know, at the time, it was a private company competing against much larger, publicly traded, bigger mortgage providers. Out of nowhere, Quicken Loans events Rocket Mortgage rockets, pun intended, to the number one mortgage provider in the U.S. How do they do it? Well, if you look behind the scenes at Quicken, they have rules. One of their rules is it's not about who is right. It's about what is right.
1: Mm. And
2: another one of the rules is we say yes before no. How Mm. different is that than most environments, where there are gatekeepers. There's no role for a gatekeeper anymore. That is not the management style that the world needs. In a world, by the way, where we all have the same amount of information, we all have the same Google password, right? (laughs) right. In that world, what matters? What matters is that executives sit back, ask better questions, reflect, coach, make sure you have everything you need so that when your insightful idea comes up, it gets executed on and fast. And it's really no more difficult than that, right? It's like, just be honest about what we know, what we don't know, what works, what doesn't work, how human beings behave, how we build trust. Nothing I say in this book should be groundbreaking. This is not new, not new. We just, as you can all agree, looking around, we need to ask ourselves, like, why aren't we more honest if we learn that honesty is the best policy at three years old, what the heck is going on here?
1: I
0: think when people look at honesty, they look at it as, you know, like I said, like as, stealing or lying but honesty really is being super clear on what you want and knowing how to get there and actually doing it building trust is difficult i have a 19 year old that i struggle with nate's good friends with my 19 year old she i struggle with her i love her to death she's amazing but i she doesn't understand honesty. she thinks that she says sorry then everything's going to be fine. And I'm going to trust her hundred percent. No, that's not how it works. The fact is, is like, I think I read somewhere for every one time you're dishonest, you have to be honest 10 times to make up for it. And so how honest are we being with ourselves, with our clients? And you know, the funny thing is, is as you were telling that story about those executives, here's, here's the people on the ground who know exactly how to fix the problem and they take it to the executives and they say, Oh, we're not sure when in fact they're not even the ones who are going to have to do the work either. So they're saying no to something that they, it makes no sense. Like if if they had to do the work, that might be one thing, like we don't have the time, but let the people do the work. Looking at it from that honesty, from that different perspective has really opened up a lot for me. It's given me a lot of things to think about.
2: Well, thank you, Sheila. I appreciate that. And I used to think I was like crazy, right? Because I was like, this seems so obvious. And the kind of executive we're talking about is so sure that their excuses are rational. So I used to think I was crazy until... I went back to Columbia and got an MBA. And of course, Warren Buffett went to Columbia. So we got to learn all about him. This was after I had already worked with one of his companies and we threw a party for him and I ended up serving as his bodyguard. That's a whole other story. But you know it, I was fascinated because he has a term for this called the institutional imperative. He is so aware of these management styles that go unchecked in very large companies down to very small companies. I don't want anyone out there who's like a small business owner to think this is not for you. This applies doubly to you um, because you have a much more direct effect on, on how your business performs. And, and he talks about how like he, he and Charlie Munger, his partner are so aware of these behaviors in the companies that they own. And even Warren himself talks about like his job is to hire really great people and then to get the heck out of the way. Yep. And that's it. And if, and when, when I saw him talking about that, And then I looked at, you know, the largest hedge fund in the world. I looked at Quicken Loans and the Ritz Carlton and all these other companies that get it. I was like, okay, maybe I'm not that crazy. I'm still crazy. Don't worry. Not (laughs) not that crazy.
1: It totally reminds me, you know, like what you said, especially about hiring good leaders and good, you know, employees so that you can then get out of the way, give them the resources to be honest and and, you know their internal rules like you said quicken has them um i used to work for a pretty large software company called apple um they're one of the largest ones in the world you've probably heard of them just google them or ask siri or something who they are sounds familiar yeah yeah
0: ask siri that's a good one
1: (laughs) yeah thank you thank you i'm clever every once in a while so um
2: all those girl scout cookies exactly
1: So at Apple, they they gave us the opportunity to, to, you know, be be honest, be true, uh, you know, do what's right, uh, you know, and and like what you said, it's like sometimes, how did you say it It was deciding on what's right, not who's right, and and then it's that same sort of thing, whereas I've also worked for other software companies where leadership didn't necessarily have that idea. They didn't, you know, it was like the story that you said of, hey, we need to fix something. We need to change something. Let's go to our frontline employees. Let's ask what needs to change. They're told what needs to change and they, they're not honest with themselves. So they have that filter on going, no, I'm right. I'm, you know, I'm not, you know, we, we can't do that. We don't want to do that. Other companies aren't doing that. So why should oh, we? That's you know, the worst,
2: right? How do we like? be? Oh, we want to be more innovative. How do we do that? Oh, I know. Let's look at what our competitors are doing and copy them. Right, <laughs> Totally. <laughs> right.
0: That's one of the most dishonest things to do. And, and you see it over and over and, and sometimes it's clearly dishonest and sometimes like this, it's a little more vague. Let's see what they're doing and see if we can kind of emulate it. But you right. know, you got to stay out of that. Can I just take back for the last uh, about 10, 15 minutes we have, you, you said something interesting a little bit a while ago. We said we were talking about work-life balance and you called it something different. Work-life something. Integration integration. Did you, I don't know if you saw my face. I was like, oh my gosh, like that seems to me, (laughs) that is the real question. Um, You know, marketing is about honesty and work-life integration seems to be smarter because you can't balance the two. So how do you, how do you integrate that?
2: Yeah. And it really comes back to what we were talking about earlier, Sheila, about lifestyle first. And sometimes it takes external pressures and factors to sort of elucidate what kind of lifestyle we even want. And, whoa, you know, down.
1: elucidate that's, that's like a $20 word and we're at a $10
2: <laughs> to make, make brighter and more apparent.
1: I like it. I like it. I'm writing that one down. Elucidate Sorry. That.
2: So I apologize. Then,
1: yeah, authors on who are using yep. words. I'm like, Whoa, hold on. Slow down. Hey, we're here. We're here to, we're here here to
2: learn. Here to <laughs> yeah, well, well, I'm going to give you a glossary of words at the end, folks, so you can so, study yeah, along. And then, um, so sorry. What, what was I talking about? Elucidating.
1: No.
2: Uh, oh, right, right, right. So, um, you know, take this pandemic. Right. We were luckily going. My my. I got very fortunate here. My company was actually going virtual, uh, as this whole pandemic hit. Anyway, so we we're like, okay, fine. And then, you know, as things let up we were like, okay, yeah, I guess we could go back to the office that, and we opened back up, and some of my employees did, but I was like, you know what? I don't like going to the office. I don't want to put on pants. I like doing this stuff from the comfort of my home, and so that's one of those things where, like, I bet you there are folks out there who are like, I can't be successful unless I get dressed and do the commute and do the normal stuff, and do, like, these are our choices, right? And it, talk about work-life integration, like, I want work to be integrated into the way I want to spend my day as a human being. And that alone, that perspective alone immediately flips the script. So I'm not making choices around work. I'm making choices around how I want to spend my time as a human being, very specific word choice, and then integrating work where possible. I just I just said to my wife the other day, like, th- I've been doing these, like, this is like number, I don't know, five, six today. I have one more. All day. This is a lot. Of, like I don't like working this much. Right? I'm the two-hour-a-day kind of guy. So you know, I'm, yeah. I'm already looking ahead to October as these kind of peter out, and I'm like, oh, good. I don't even want to talk that much. I hate the sound of my own voice. Yeah. But my point is, how do we go about things like that? I mean, I'll give you one quick, actual, tactical tip, Sheila, which is I've already gone into my Calendly scheduler, and I've already blocked off everywhere I don't want to work, and I'm just going to work on the times that I do. Now, people, when they hear that, they're like, well, that must be nice, Peter, but like, I need to do nine hours worth of work. And I said, well, that's really interesting, because I have a feeling that if a close family member got hit by a bus and was hospitalized, and you had to be there every day, or something happened with your child, and you needed to rapidly shift, or whatever, that you would figure it out. And parents, and Sheila, maybe you'll disagree with me because I'm not a parent, right? But I've been told that parents intuitively get this because they think to themselves, how am I going to juggle everything and then have a baby? Then they have the baby and somehow they tend to get more work done in less time because they have to. Am I off?
0: No, you're absolutely right. It actually, the example you just used, my 19-year-old actually was in the hospital last week and I had to shift my entire week. Every year in November, I do the same thing. I start planning for the next year. And the first thing I do is block out those days, anniversaries, birthdays, uh, vacation time. I block those out. And I can't remember who it said. Was it Benjamin Franklin that said it takes as long as it takes? If you've got 15 minutes, you can do it in 15 minutes. If you've got an hour, you do it in an hour. So you block out those times for your family. That's how you, and then you integrate business into it. I think a lot of people do it backwards. Uh,
2: of course they do. Of course they do. And they make assumptions, right? Well, I need to be the one doing all that. No, you don't. You suck at that task anyway. Give it to somebody else. Or well, that I need, But I need to work harder in my business. That's how I'm going to make more money. No. The less I've worked, the more money I've made. I'm sorry, but no. Yeah. All of these things are not true. And when we build foundations upon those untruths, we get into a place where we can't have work-life balance, whatever the heck that means, right? These are all, these are all tied back to the things that we believe, the self-limiting beliefs we have, the amount that our ego gets involved, and in the things we think and feel. That has no place in truth and honesty. Yeah. Okay, I'm kind of like you can tell I'm kind of brutal as a coach. I'm like, that's well, so cool that you feel that way. I don't care. You told me this is the objective you wanted to achieve, and if you had to do this in four hours a day, three hours a day, two hours a day, I have a feeling that you could. And get strategic here. What would you do? Would you delegate? Would you drop? Would you reprioritize? All of it's possible, and all of it's on the table. And as we said earlier, right, Sheila and Nate, there's only one thing we have control over. That's how we spend our time and our reactions to things. Take control, Sheila. You were saying take control of the schedule? Uh,
1: especially like you just said, controlling our reactions to things. You know, I think most of us can resonate, uh, that this year, 2020, there have been a lot of things kind of thrown at us that we don't have control over and the people that I've seen kind of be or find success this year. Um, and it goes back to defining that success, but the people that, that are that, uh, they, they've been able to control their reaction to things you know, if they want to be reactive or proactive to what comes our way and events that happen. And when you said like, Peter, it's, you know, if if a kid gets sick or something happens, you know, I've grown up with a a chronic illness that always throws wrenches into plans and gears and how I react to things really defines how I'm successful. Um, If I'm, you know, being that, that reactive self going, oh, well, now I can't achieve this it's again, it's a, it's a, it's a foundation of lies. Oh, I can't achieve this success or I can't achieve that because I have these limiting beliefs, even though some people might not say their beliefs, they're like, no, those are physical. Those are real. I can see your limitations and that that's okay. A lot of our, our limitations are real. And that's why we, we, we tell ourselves, it's like, cause we have these, these facts, these evidence that we go, no, look, this is proof that, I can't do it. This is proof that it can't be done. I, I was taught at a young age that, because I had people telling me, no, you can't do this, Nate. You know, Doctors saying you can't walk. People saying, no, you, you're not gonna live past a certain age. And I got stubborn really easily. And early on I go, don't tell me what I can't do. And they were like, well, nobody else has done that before. I go, cool, I'm gonna be the first one to find a way. I'm gonna do this differently. And I, I had to throw away those lies. I couldn't build it upon a foundation of lies. I would to go to the honest truth and go, well, what can I do? Just like you mentioned earlier, sometimes in our businesses, we like to try to do everything, but a lot of times we suck at doing everything. You know, it's like we're, we're not great at everything. Focus on what you're really good at and let everyone else do everything else. You know, there, there are things that it's like, okay, I want to be able to go do X, Y, and Z. My physical body might provide real tangible limitations, but if I focus on the limitations, I'm not going to get it done. If I can focus on what I am good at, the honesty, the truth, the the real values there, and I go, okay, well, that's what I need to do. That's what I need to get done. And look, I have resources and help to get the other things. And that's focusing on the honesty. That's being the real, the truth of, okay, in order to get X, Y, and Z done, and I only have Z, I just need to find somebody else who is amazing at creating X and Y.
0: We talk okay. about that in every single episode, If you if you're not good at it. If it tires you out, hire it out. That's like, for, for my digital marketing agency, that's the tagline. If it tires you out, hire it that. out. If you don't know how to do it, hire it out. If it's going to wear you out, <laughs> do what you're good at. Let the other people do what they're good at because you just going to waste your time. But, um, no, I love it, that integration. Right. I think for me, that is just, that's huge. And that's honesty. Integrating it together is honesty and it's about building what you want to build.
1: I love it. I love it so much. Like, uh, Peter, you brought so much great, just truth bombs, uh, and I, 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 you use that term there because it is—it's honest bombs. That's what you're bringing to the table. It's, it's saying, okay, this is what you got to be honest with yourself. You got to really look down in and say, okay, what are my strengths? If it's something that it's like, oh, if it, if it tires you out, you know, hire it out. It's probably tiring you out, you out, because you're not honest with yourself. If you're doing what you love and you're honest with yourself, it's not going to feel like any work.
2: Yep. And it's so often the biggest assumption that's the worst. It's like, you know, as soon as I have an introductory call with like a new coaching client, right? And they're telling me, well, yeah, it's here's the problem. And I, I know it's not this or this or this. And what they're telling me is it's probably that or that or that, right? So the thing <laughs> they've already excluded, the thing they know isn't it, that's usually it. Yeah. yeah. I
0: have a 15 minute discovery call where I can find out what people, what their pro- real problem is. And, um, I let them do most of the talking for those 15 minutes because it takes them the full 15 minutes to actually go, oh, you know what really my problem is? And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, actually I do, but it took you 15 <laughs> minutes to actually get it out of your mouth. So, yeah. um, and it is, it comes back to honesty. They think that one thing is a problem, but it's because they're not looking at all the other things for that's sure. Right. So right. yeah, and I that's, love it.
2: That in the end, you know, although, you know, now I didn't set out to write a book about this, that's what I'm most proud of is that I wanted to shake people. You know, I want them to start to question things, the way they built their lives, the people they allow in their life, you know, who are, are toxic. Or like all this stuff comes back to honesty. Um, and you can really, once you figure that out, you know, here's the trick. Honest Sheila and honest Nate are very different than dishonest Sheila and dishonest Nate. You know, honest Sheila and Nate have different hopes, dreams, fears, aspirations, desires. Only through that process can you begin to make steps towards Everything we're talking about, you know what you really, what you really want. Simple but powerful.
0: It's brilliant. I love that that word. I'm going to have to uh, start looking at things a little differently to um, to be more honest with myself and with the people around me too. So, and you know, with uh, this being the old one in the group. Um, I have to say, though, uh, Peter, because, you know, Nate and I joke about millennials all the time because all my kids are millennials and, and Nate's millennial. And sorry you to are. hear that. Tough
2: yeah. Work. And this is one thing that I loved.
0: I loved one of your talks. I think it was your TED talk. You got up and you said, I've got a big confession to make, you know, <laughs> Um I, I have to say, and I'll be perfectly honest with you that you're I, I'm pretty impressed with you, especially as a millennial, because uh, millennials do struggle with that. Uh, seeing clearly what's really going on, in my opinion. And we could battle that on a whole other podcast. but uh, That's a
2: whole other podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, <laughs> yeah. it, is, it is interesting.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Peter. Um, it's been tremendous. Like I know my eyes have been opened and um, I'm taking my filters off. I think this is a really good thing that we all need to look at.
1: Hey, Peter, I, I love the the honest bombs that you've dropped today. And I'm sure our listeners have as well. Um, where can our listeners, if, if they're interested in hearing more, where can they find you? Where can they purchase your book or, or listen to it? Like what, what options do they have for
2: you? Sure thing. So come have an honest conversation. I'm at honest 2 greatness.com that's honest greatness.com there. You can take the t- free 21 question honesty quiz, which will tell your honesty type and how honest you really are. If you're honest enough to find out. Um, and that gets you onto my Monday match newsletter. In addition, you know, if you found this interesting, Pick up your copy of Honest to Greatness everywhere books are sold. Uh, it's in hardcover and ebook right now. Audiobook will be later this year. And, um, you know, we dive much more into what does honesty look like? Uh, how do you define it? How do you use it, weaponize it? We've only scratched the surface with all the techniques that you can use. Um, and then, of course, you know, as, as Sheila picked up right away, I'm the worst millennial ever, but I am begrudgingly on all the social media at Peter Kozodoy, K-O-Z-O-D-O-Y.
1: Cool. I love it.
2: Awesome. Thank you, Peter. Thanks for being honest.
0: Would you like to have either myself or Nate speak at your next event or on your podcast? Visit us at themessybackend.com speaking. Well, that's our show for today's episode of The Messy Backend. Thanks so much for listening. It's Nate and Sheila signing off until next week.
2: That's all we have for today's episode of The, 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 the Messy b- b- Backend. Join us again next week as our experts share more customized business advice and tips about all the messy stuff that goes on in the back end of entrepreneurship. Remember, you are not alone. Every business has a messy back end that needs a little attention.